This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the Quarter Pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery, so the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything. From which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Good morning, afternoon or evening, ladies, gentlemen, boys and girls. This is the Stacey West podcast. It is the 272nd episode of the Stacey West podcast. How we're nearly hitting three centuries. My name is Gary. You probably recognise my dulcet tones by now. And similarly, some dulcet tones that are becoming more and more recognisable by the day as his public persona grows are those of Charlie Beeston. He's with me today. How are you, sir? I am really, really well, especially after uh, yesterday. That was a pretty special game to be at, I must be honest. Yeah, you know, we're obviously going to kind of come on to the game and everything um, as we go through, but it's relief, isn't it? I think that I think that's what I think that's the main thing. I mean, I um, so I watched it with my dad from Andorra or somewhere like that. I'm not quite sure where um, we watched it from yesterday, uh, and, and surprisingly, we were in the Ivy Club. Um, sort of 10 minutes after the game, I met Chris in there as well. And it was just like, I don't know, like a weight had been lifted. I think Chris said the exact those exact words. It's just like mm-hmm. a weight's been lifted. And, you know, we had a couple of beers and then um, kind of moved on a little bit. And it was just, yeah. I think it's it's just, it's the justification of what we've been saying. Because if you and I were coming on now and we're talking about a draw or a defeat and we were picking positives out of a draw and a defeat... There's only so far you can do that before you go, football is a results business. There's a whole lot more to it. Mm-hmm. It's not just result business, but you've got to get results somewhere in there at some point, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think back to Derby just before Christmas, that game, uh, and obviously we went to Pride Park and lost 3-1. And I remember on uh, social media afterwards, I mean, I know dangerous as is anyway, and Chris was tweeting sort of quite positively about kind of the game and picking out quite a few of the positives. I, I remember that was one of the games, you, you couldn't get to watch that game, could you? Because of the power cut uh, that night. And Chris was getting absolute pelters on social media for being overtly positive. And to be fair, I, I, I kind of got it from both sides because like there was certain points that you could pick out of good you know, moments of performance and such. But then at the same time, we're, we're going and we're losing 3-1 and it's just before Christmas and it's really deflating and... Yesterday, I think we just needed to be picking up that victory. I would have taken a score draw because I think we needed a goal, something that we've just lacked over the last couple of games throughout the good performances and throughout creating some good opportunities. We've just lacked that goal as well as a couple of other things, of course. And I think being able to get that yesterday, it'd be a 1-0 tight victory, keep the clean sheet run that we kind of got going as well now. It kind of had everything about it. And like you say, it, it was that real moment of relief, and especially that final whistle. As soon as nine minutes goes up on the board, you start panicking. But to be fair, five, six minutes into that added time, and I really wasn't too worried. No, well, I wasn't too worried either. Um, I wasn't too worried uh, because I was looking forward to my first beer since New Year's Eve, um, which I had. 
Uh, and it was just, yeah, it was, it was a relief. But anyway, on to important things first. Bugger all this football stuff. Food. Um, so I don't know if last week on the podcast I told people about my ex- dining experience in Horncastle at a place called Frank. Did. did I did I talk about that? You did, yeah. I, I, love, I love food, mate. I do. It's the only reason that I run is so that it doesn't become visibly obvious how You're much right. I love food. Shut up. Um, so last night we went somewhere a little bit closer to Lincoln. So people listening in, if you're after kind of food recommendations, um, which this podcast isn't about. But we went to the White Heart at Netland, which is a, a dough loco um, kind of outlets, you know, do uh, pizzas. It's, it's just, When I say it's just pizzas, it's, you know, you start as that, but your mains are all pizzas. And they were amazing. I had, um, I had mozzarella sticks and a chili dip. And you know normally like a chili dip, it's like that that you get at McDonald's. That's a ch- it's quite sweet, but it's not warm. Jesus Christ! Toilet roll's been in the fridge all morning. I mean, and it was only a little bowl of this this chili dip. My God! And um, and then I sorry, I, I love food. <laughs> then I ordered the pizza. It was a hot pizza with chili bits on it, and I ordered oh. loaded loaded fries as well. Uh, and um, Wiggles, who I think runs the place, kind of said to me, you've you ordered a lot of food there. And I'm like, you're about to see something special, my friend. Um, and even I even left some chips as well. So this that's my recommendation. There was five of us um, with a round of drinks, starters and pizzas. I think it was about 25 quid a head. So really, really reasonable as well. So if you're in Netlam or Roundabout and, and looking for a really good pizza, Doe Loco, White Heart, that, 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 I'm going to have to check that out. Although none of the spicy stuff. Because I'm a child when it comes to that. I will not be afraid to admit I hate spicy. I can't stand it. Spicy isn't a taste. It's a pain. It's a sensation. And I don't like that. I like curries and I like a warm curry, but only because I like the flavours within the warm curry. I'm not one of these that will go into an Indian restaurant and be like, right, where's your file? Look how hardcore I am. (laughs) You know, Food is a pleasure for me. It shouldn't be borderline pain. Um, but this, like I said, this sweet chili mix, it was it was just right. It was. It was just on that border between spicy being um pleasurable and it just mm. being something that morons do as a you know, when you do it, um there's a there's a spicy challenge thing I sometimes see pop up on social media. Yeah where they get various celebrities. I, I've never watched it until the other day Jennifer Lawrence was on it, so I'll watch that. Um, yeah, and I, that's another thing, one of those things, in it, where it's like, oh, how hard are you grabbing spicy food? Whatever. Balance. But no, no loco. There we go. Any food recommendations for you, Charlie, other than pre-packed steak from Tesco? Do you know what? We've gone quite a while without you attacking one of my steaks, so um, that was fair enough. Uh, oh, do you know what? I've not been out to eat in a while. Um because, you know, I'm a student and I can only afford pre-packed steaks from Tesco's four times a week. So, yeah, yeah, I, I have to kind of limit down on that. But I've got sort of a funny little anecdotal story. A proper blind moment from myself yesterday. I know the, the sort of Shock. irony in that. I know. Um, but I was I was on the train yesterday from Nottingham to Burton. And guys stood in front of me on, on the train for wasn't much seating room. And nobody gave up their seat for a blind man. I mean, how poor. Um, and uh, the guy sort of put it in. I'm thinking, I, I feel like I recognise you, but I'm not going to say anything because I just don't know. Because you know, I've made that mistake many a times of not knowing somebody's face. And I sort of get off the train and I'm walking towards um, Burton Stadium. He's walking right behind me. Thinking, so is that is someone I know, Kyle, who also does the Real EFL podcast. So uh, Keneally, yeah, no, yeah. okay. So it's a great so then, anecdote, Charlie. So a walk. I know, I know. Yeah. yeah, just had no idea who it was yeah. at first, but then yeah, brilliant. I know. You know what? I, I, know. I don't understand why people, more people, don't listen with comedy like yeah. that. Honestly, <laughs> I really don't. I know. Oh, no. <laughs> anyway, uh, from one blind man on the podcast to another one referee in a football game, let's talk about Burn Albion and Lincoln City. Um, pardon the, the, the joke there, of course, we shouldn't make fun of um, referees who are visually impaired uh, at all. Uh, so you know, we've, we've just alluded to it. It was a game against the team who were below us in the league, who, and I don't mind saying this because we do put disclaimer about foul language on there, were fucking awful from start to finish. Um, how Burton were only three or four points behind us in the division, I will never know. I really won't because I thought they were one of the poorest sides that we've seen. Um, you know, They tried to do route one and they didn't do it particularly well. 
But for us, we're back to that time where the team selection comes out and it's it's all about what we're actually going to do, not the, oh, what we're going to do. Um, bit of a shock, Joe Taylor dropped to the bench. It was a little bit of a shock for the first five minutes. Until then, I started thinking, I thought, actually, no, that's kind of perfect. Because I don't think, that I, I, especially in hindsight, I can say, I don't think this game would have suited Joe Taylor at all. Um, so, I, you know, I think it was quite good. But yeah, it was a little bit of a trying to work out exactly who's going to be playing where. But again, it wasn't a working out who's going to be playing where because we don't quite, because we're having to kind of put uh, sort of round pegs and square holes and such. It was more, oh, we've got options. And also, one of the first things that I noticed when that team sheet came out was that bench. That yeah. is one of the strongest benches I can remember us having. Yeah, I'd agree. A bench almost rendered useless by the red card on 27 minutes. Because as soon as that happened, you're not bringing <laughs> Joe Taylor on. You're not bringing Danny Mandroyo on. It was, do you know what I mean? You, the options were hard, but we'll, we'll come on to that anyway. What it does do, it bodes really well for the next few weeks. And as long as we can keep players fit, and given that actually, you know, when we did the injury thing the other week, given that um, keeping players fit hasn't been a significant problem, because um, it, you know, it sound, that sounds silly given the injuries we've had, but it's actually been, we've got a better fitness record than many of the teams in our division. The problem is it's been three key players in one position where the injuries have occurred. So, you know, I don't, we've got a good medical team. I don't foresee any injury, you know, serious injuries, but you, you, you can never tell. But if we're going into team, if we're going into games with that that kind of squad, um, every game, and we keep eleven men on the field, which is crucial, <laughs> you know, we can take the points that we wanted. I think Chris on your monthly show that hasn't aired yet, but he's going to, says twelve points from the next six games. I think yeah. he said. So that's now nine points from the next five games. Well, that's only three wins from games against Exeter and Fleetwood and Port Vale and Charlton and, and the other one just eludes me at the moment. So, or it's Shrewsbury. it's Shrewsbury, is it? Or it's two wins and three draws. It's, and you pick those points up. But anyway, so that, that's the team. The team the team looks strong. The game, I've got, I've got, to, I've got to pay some sort of attention to the pitch. Oh. It was it was awful, wasn't it? I didn't like there was so where where I was yesterday behind the goal, um, kind of a little bit more towards the corner. It didn't look too bad in kind of the, that close vicinity. It looked, you know, not great, but it didn't look too bad. Obviously, I saw one, your comment in the group chat, sort of saying the pitch is horrendous. I'm thinking, yeah, okay, okay. So left it till well, it was this morning when I was rewatching back sort of the extended highlights of the game. And wow, that sort of near touchline where the iFollow camera was, that was just, how on earth is that even allowed in the EFL? Terrible, terrible. I I know it's tough and we're lucky because we've had some money to invest in our pitch. But, you know, it's when it almost, it underlines actually where we are as a club compared to some others because sometimes people go, well, we should be competing, we should be better than this, we should be better than that. But you look at our setup and our facilities in particular, I mean, our pitch looked immaculate last weekend against um, Peterborough United. It looks so good. And that's with a winter. That was with a frost. It's with everything we've had on it. I understand that Burton, um, you know, are perhaps not in a similar position to us. They've been in the championship, but that you know, they're not a Lincoln City. With the greatest respect to them, they, they, they're they not as big a club as us. And they can you can think what you want about them having been in the championship. They're not. They're a lower-end League One and very soon, in my opinion, top-end League Two football club. Um, who have done well year on year on year by being tough, hard to be, by basically changing their entire squad um, every winter, but then still ending up with Joe Powell and John Brayford <laughs> playing for them. Yeah, yeah. They've got the highest squad churn, and yet they've got two players who just never, ever <laughs> seem to change. They're like always there. Um, but the first, I mean, I've got to go really straight in on the referee. I have, because... Mm-hmm. He got the first three decisions absolutely spot on. I mean, that tackle on Ted Bishop was horrible. It wasn't a red card, but it was late. It was Mm -hmm. was after the ball had gone. It scythed him into. And all they were doing, it was pulls and pushes and nudges. I mean, they weren't even good at it. It wasn't even subtle. I think I've referred to it as like a snooker ball in a sock. But it it was like trying to get somebody's attention by putting a brick through the window, not knocking on the door. It was just, was it, did it, did it feel like that there? Oh, absolutely. It felt like it and, and then some. But I think a lot of the kind of immediate hatred was 
actually pointed a little bit more towards the referee, which it's it's going to. Uh, and then I think people <laughs> began to realise, Jesus, these guys are horrible bastards. And that's that's very much what it felt like. Um, some of us were sort of comparing it to to Bolton because I think we've spoken as well on on podcasts, and I think we may have mentioned it on the Deadline Day Live about how Bolton are able to do some of the darker arts of the game really well, but they're able to do it up to a certain point and still have discipline. Burton seemed like they were going out there to hurt the opposition. They seemed like they were wanting to attack us. They seemed like they t- were targeting, for example, Teddy Bishop immediately. Yeah, yeah, they did. And, you just it's it's horrible to be playing against it's horrible to play on that pitch as well i'm sure and how on earth we came away without any injuries it seems on that game is, is beyond me yeah so there was the super save from their keeper from last that's great it was the only real moment of quality i think that we showed um in in the first half hour rico looking really lively but we'll talk about the two yellow cards now um look, those two up top by the way should be a handful i thought the lad from crystal palace is it ola adabomi mm-hmm. um was a player that in the right team is going to be really, he's going to be some player. The other lad, Kyle Hudlin, I was really keen not to just pigeonhole him as a great big lump up top. Yeah, I was, but he is, that's what he is. And you've got to call a spade a spade, haven't you? And he didn't have the finesse, I didn't think, um, when he had the ball on the floor. He, he is all about the height. He showed absolutely nothing for me apart from being six foot ten. And you know that that is it. You look at someone like a Freddie Draper. Freddie Draper is okay. He's not as tall as as Hudlin, obviously. But Freddie Draper is one of the taller players on our team and one of the taller players on the pitch. When you're not coming up against the Burton side, but yet he's still great with the ball at his feet. He's challenging in being able to win, but then being able to flip the ball on. Kyle Hudlin looked like he was able to win things, but then couldn't really do the flick-ons. Didn't really do anything when he was able to touch the ball at all. And it just looked really, really poor. It, it should be a Sunday league footballer. Yeah, I'm not sure Sunday league, Charlie, is. Well, I do. I could see him doing a job in in League One in a team like this. Or, you know, Steve Evans at, uh, up at Stevenage would oh, be looking God. and thinking, how the hell have I not signed him? <laughs> um, but then, because he, he's hard to challenge. Because if you're jumping up and going for a header with him, by the time you've jumped and gone for the header, he hasn't had to get off the ground. And that's what happened for me for the yellow card. And it's the first one that really, really hacks me off. And and you may not like me saying this, but the second one, there's an element of naivety, I think, about that incident from Alex's point of view, which I'll come on to. But the first one, I mean, the boy's flicked his head back. Alex hasn't made a head movement forward. He's gone up for a header. It's a clash of heads. How the referee has deemed that one a foul and two a yellow card, I think all he's done has been eager to get a yellow card to a Lincoln player because he's already flashed three to um, Burton players. I genuinely cannot understand at all the thinking. I know I know you've said there it's probably because he's given the three yellows to Burton players. I can't understand what on earth was going through his mind to even think about giving a foul, let alone a yellow how on earth can a player simply jumping up to try and win a header? It didn't even look like he headbutted the back of Hudlin's head or anything like that. Just looked like he was up trying to win the header. His head didn't really look like it was moving too much. And yet that was a foul and a yellow. I, part of me does wonder, and I don't know, but part of me wonders whether he got the yellow for... Was there anything in the fact that he was immediately running away from the incident? And uh, did he say anything? I'm, I'm just trying to think of a way that... Um, what's his name? Simpson could have thought that that was a yellow in any sense. I, I cannot understand it at all. No. And then the second one on Ola Adabomi. I've watched now. This is one thing that we do have the benefit of, and so we'll defend the referee. I've watched it in slow motion. <laughs> he doesn't get that. All he sees mm-hmm. is, is what happens. But in slow motion, the, their player's got his arm kind of round and across Mitchell, holding, trying to hold him back. And Mitchell's is across the player. Now, as they move, there's, if it's a shirt pull, if it's a grab, even if it's a pull back on his body, I, I get it. I understand it. But you can clearly see in slow motion, actually, Mitchell always pulls his hand away from their player and their player goes down. I think their player's basically bought the red card. But in the referee's defence in real time, it looks like he's pulled him down. So is there an element of naivety for Alex to even have his hands on him? Possibly. 
but then there was 21 other players that at some point in the game had their hands all over and it was never punished. So, again, I can see how we got sent off. But I think he's the most unjust sending off I've seen a Lincoln City player receive in a long while. Whenever a player, and it doesn't even have to be Lincoln, whenever any player gets a second yellow card, for me, I, I immediately go at the player. doesn't matter what the referee's decision was, whether they should have made the decision or not, or, or what the first yellow card was. For me, if the player has given the referee a question to ask, they're begging to be sent off. But I then have to go against that again for this one because... Well, it's I'm Alex just, Mitchell. I'm, you're going to, aren't you? No, no. no <laughs> because he's your mate, isn't he? <laughs> I, just, I just don't understand, again, what the decision was there. For me, in real time, looks like the player's already going down when Alex supposedly he is, uh, yeah. sort of made the foul. So there, there was a... There was, we'll go on to it later on, I'm sure. But there was another decision that could have gone for us later on where I said, no, we shouldn't have had it. In that case, it was a penalty. No, we shouldn't have had a penalty because the player was already going down when the other player came in. So, and we didn't get the penalty. But then it's just showing the total lack of consistency because those two situations for me are quite similar. So why on earth is Alex being sort of sent off there, given a second yellow and us not getting a penalty in the other instance? You either are a crap referee or, or you pick up on everything, that's fine, or you pick up on nothing and you let the game flow. You don't do both in the same game. Yeah, we'll move on from the referee in a second. But just to back up your point there, there was a foul throw given against Lass and there was four or five others from both teams that he didn't give. Now, I think that the referee tried to lay down a marker early and Burton just ignored it. And at that point, the ref then had a decision to make. He either then starts letting things go or he continues in the same vein. Mm. And I think in he continued in the same vein for a while, but I think he... It wasn't that it flustered him. I'm defending him here. I think it was because Burton was so bad at the dark hearts that it was so obvious what they were doing. They were leaving him no question. And there must have been two, three, maybe even four moments where one of our players has got through and he's just been hauled back, tugged back and pushed back. Camwa did it, I think, on Ted Bishop. Somebody did it on Fred Drapus. Um, it, it was, and for me, Paul did it against Exeter. And this whole, uh, much of our fan base were my captain, my man, what a man, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I know why he did it. I don't like that type of foul. And I think that longer term, if it continues, because players know they're going to get away with it. And there's been once or twice where, okay, they're not the last man, but you know full well, if you're three on two, there's every chance you're going to get a shot away. And there was two or three times yesterday where that happened. And Pordy did it against Exeter. Absolutely. I'm not defending that. And I didn't defend it at the time and I won't defend it now. One in a game, you kind of go, yeah, okay, you've picked up a yellow card for that. But when it's three, four, something like that, that's the time where the referee just has to call the, you know, there has to be scope within the the, the referee's remit Mm -hmm. for him to go cumulatively. If you keep committing this foul where there is no opportunity to get the ball, three, four, five even times, at some point, you've got to go, enough is enough. It's a straight red, but there isn't. There's such a tight framework. There's no flexibility within that. I just find that quite hard to, to digest. I'm going to I'm gonna disagree with you slightly because I, I wouldn't say I glorified it when Pordy did it, but I was certainly kind of pleased that he did because arguably that earned us a point. Who knows, you know? Um I think one of the one of the kind of key aspects of being a defender is knowing when to make those tactical fouls and having kind of the, the foresight to know and the kind of mental awareness of where you are on the pitch and where your teammates are on the pitch to know that you can make that challenge and it be a yellow. You can make it's not a challenge, challenge though, is it? It isn't. I, I, I'm not just you know I'm not going to sit here and say that he, they were trying to get the ball and all of this. But I still think it's about being smart, which they were still showing a level of smartness, even though they were doing the unsubtle, as you've said, the kind of unsubtle, horrendous, just trying to take everybody out. But they were doing it in kind of taking turns. They were making sure not to get the second yellows, which I think one or two times they very much could have had a second yellow and maybe the referee should have done that. But it wasn't always the same players that were making those major challenges to pull the players back. No, I get that, but I, I just think it, when, when it's one, you go, yeah, okay. And then look, our, our lads have done it, and I'm not going to repeat myself too much. Our lads have done it. You do one, you go, it's a tactical foul. I get that. But when it's four or five, um, and 
it's persistent. There's got to be there's got to be some room for the referee to score. You, you've got for me football. You've got to try and play the ball, and I, that's why I didn't glorify poor distinct because if there's no attempt to get the ball, it's just deliberately stopping a player. For me, that is it, you could be sent off for ungentlemanly conduct. Mm-hmm. Well, it, what, it, what's more ungentlemanly about a, about when a player's beaten you, pulling his shirt back? I mean, Pordy's was worse because Pordy could have caused injury because it was across the arm. But pulling the shirt back, deliberate trips, all that sort of stuff, not for me. Look, let's move on. Let's move on from the referee because um, he had a tough afternoon um, and neither goalkeeper had a tough afternoon in the first half, I don't think at all. Um, they had a few opportunities, nothing too dangerous. Their uh, their comms were thinking that they were, were, were playing relatively well. But there was that glimpse one at the end of the first half, just what could be achieved. Um, and we lost it. I think after the red card, we, we kind of lost the composure for probably 10, 15 minutes. And then just on the stroke of half time, really tough chance, actually, for Jacko. And it, it's a tough chance that looks really easy. And it's not because there's no pace on the ball at all. But we could have gone in one or two up. Yeah, we, we really could have done. Um, I, I'm with you, by the way, on Jacko's chance because that is unbelievably difficult to score. He's got to try and get the pace and the power on it. And if he'd have took any more time, chances are a defender would have come in. And yeah, so I don't think I can kind of sort of say anything against him there. I do definitely think that Max Crokin can be praised in the Burton uh, Albion goal. I thought he had a really good game all game, you know, even though yeah. he, he didn't concede. Um, obviously got a hand to that particular shot a little bit later on, but I thought he was I thought he was brilliant all game. And yeah, we were creating some really good chances. What I liked and Skubala, well, it was kind of referencing Skubala's post-match interview was the fact that they didn't immediately bring Pordy O'Connor on. They kind of waited for a little bit, thought about what their next move was going to be, kind of seeing how the game was going to progress within the first sort of five, ten minutes of us being down to ten men. Were they just going to be constantly coming at us? Were we still going to be getting opportunities? Then they decided to make this sort of shape change and bring Pordy in and take Dylan Duffy off, which for me, I think Dylan Duffy coming off was the only real choice he could have made in that scenario. I, I sort of called yeah. that as soon as Mitchell came off. Um, so, yeah, I really sort of appreciated the way that that was dealt with. And, yeah, we were still creating opportunities, even down to 10 men. And I think that kind of points to the fact that Burton didn't exactly look great. And it's not like they were constantly coming at us either and they were just being, right. we were just going on the counter with that. That's not what it was like at all. It didn't seem like we were down to 10 men. It didn't seem like they had an extra player on us. No, that's exactly that's exactly right, and yeah, it didn't seem like they had the extra man. And and, and like, I'm going to go easy on the referee from now on, so we'll, we'll say eleven men, not twelve. <laughs> um, Ethan Hamilton, obviously, great opportunity um, to score. I, I, I think it was hard because it bounced a little bit in front of him, and you know. But at that point, I thought this isn't our afternoon, and then we get an opportunity that. Well, it was just, it wasn't really an opportunity that we actually score from. It, it wasn't clear cut, but that's what we've been missing, isn't it, with Rico? That ability to just get on the ball and turn people inside and out. Uh, look, we, we spoke at length last week, last Sunday, about how amazing it's been to have Rico Hackett back in the team. And he's just showed it again yesterday. That chance, it, it was funny because when Ethan Aaron picked up the ball, obviously everybody was shouting at him to shoot. He didn't, and he laid the ball off to Rico. And somebody near me sort of shouted, "Oh, be braver, shoot!" You know. And then Rico does that, takes it, has the bravery himself to take that onto his weaker foot, turn the man inside out, and then still be able to get the ball into the bottom corner. That was a fantastic goal, great little opportunity, and the, that's the thing that kind of bravery, uh, the ability as well to be able to run at players and still be able to create something with it. Rico's already shown off so much since coming back into the squad and it's something we've really missed. I'm so glad to have him back. I think the yellow cards actually contributed to that a bit and it's something I was chatting to Chris about in the pub last night was <clears throat> Rico was able to run at the players because if they committed a foul, most of them were on yellow cards. I think their entire back three were on a yellow card by half-time. Um, Braveford, I think, for dissent when he felt he should have had a penalty, which he probably yeah. should, to be fair. Um, in fact, they probably should have had two because there's one where Jensen pulls down um, Ola Radabomi in the second half that looks very, very much like a penalty to me. Um, but yeah, with Rico, it was it's what he does. And it's that cutting inside. I tell you, he used to be brilliant at it and we've missed it since he's gone. He's Anthony Scully. That's what Scully used to be able to do. He's kind of cut in from there and get the, get the shot away. But with Rico, you've got a little bit more pace and physicality, I think. Um, but it was clever from Arahan. I thought Arahan was my he, he was my man of the match. I thought he was outstanding yeah. um, throughout. 
Uh, and you just look at a lot of our chances. So many of them start with him, like Jacko's header. Um, the ball comes out. It's it's Raham that recycles it. He sells Helm a dummy and plays it out to Bishop, who puts the cross in. You know, he's always. I remember Danny Cowley said used to say Alex Woodyard is always the pass before the pass before the goal or the pass before the pass before the chance. He's where it starts, and that's what Arahan is. I think for me, uh, well, not for me, obviously, because I don't own him. <laughs> No, I think uh, whoever decided that he should be the one that kind of sits back when we have an attacking set piece, stroke of genius, because the, that's the thing, it's constant recycling. Whenever that ball comes out to him, sort of 30, 40 yards out, he's not doing anything silly with it. He's not often just kind of punting it into nowhere. He's still being able to create something with it. And that, for me, is incredible. And it took a game where you wanted composure in the midfield because composure could have quite easily been lost from us. We could have stooped down to Burton's level yesterday, and I don't think we did. And the, like I said, the composure from uh, Ethan Aaron kind of then rang true throughout the whole of the match and also probably rang true throughout every, all of the other players on the pitch as well to sort of have this calming influence in the middle of the park. Yeah, absolutely. So, look, um, moving on, we're already half an hour in. Madness. Um <laughs> Massive, massive plus when when Big Ben came on. Now, I had um, I had a feeling that he wouldn't get that much time because we were told he was coming back end of February. It's start of February. He said he hinted he'd be on the bench against Burton. Michael Scabala played it down and said, you know, we're going to have to manage his minutes. So you think that it'll be 10 minutes at the end of this game. Then it'll be a 15, 20 minute spell and et cetera, et cetera. And he's coming on for what, half an hour? By the time the nine, the extra nine minutes are up, he's he's played almost you know, what thirty nine minutes, mm-hmm. maybe forty minutes mm-hmm. of football. Um, for me, it didn't look like he'd ever been injured. Uh, I made a comment um, on my uh, on my write up, which I've had to amend, but I will make it here. To me, he looked like a dangerous dog chasing people down outside of a, a shopping complex on a housing estate. Um, and, and if that's in poor taste, I apologise because I'm aware that there has been some dog news again today. Um, but he just had that kind of he wanted a bite of everybody. Mm. And there was a moment where a Rahan was cleaned out. I think it was an elbow or a hand to the face. No yellow card, by the way, because it was a repeat offender. And House went over. I think Brayford was there as well. And they were nose to nose. And it were, I think the ref booked House actually for it and not Brayford. <laughs> but... That is what we've missed. It's kind of that that bite and aggression. We missed that in the later days of Mark Kennedy. We missed it in the early days of Michael mm. Scabala. And now, he talked about getting experience in the side. Ben House isn't particularly experienced, but he is, if you see what I mean. He's not experienced in the yeah. games he's played. He's not experienced in his age. He's not experienced in where he's played. There's something about him that just says, this boy knows exactly what he's doing. And I thought our attack took on a completely different dimension. No disrespect to Freddie at all. But as soon as Ben came on, I just felt genuinely that we could score with every break. I um, I made a point on the monthly show, which, you know, for, for all of you watching, it'll be out very soon. It's rendering as we speak. And um, yeah, I, I sort of made the point on that when we were discussing best 11s, that for me, as soon as Ben House was fit from the start of matches, he would be in my best 11 and he should be starting, whether that be with, with, with Freddie or, or with Joe Taylor, obviously, who knows, probably Freddie for me, but Ben House needs to be starting because he was my favourite player last season. I thought his, his sort of ability in terms of running both on and off the ball, as we've sort of discussed, I think second to none from what we've got. And he's he's a 20-goal-a-season striker for me. He can get into the opportunities and he can... He can put them away. He got, what was it, 14, 15 last season? If he took our penalties, that would have been 20. So, yeah, good you know, that for, for me, I think Ben House is a fantastic striker. I'm so glad we've got him back. And I echo the point of it really looked like he'd never been away. He's been on the sidelines since the end of August, came off at half-time against Sheffield United, and he looked like that game was only yesterday. The way he was able to, just to run the game, run that kind of op, uh, attacking third for the whole of the 30 minutes that he was on the pitch. Outstanding. And he got his opportunity as well. And obviously, it's it's a shame he didn't miss it. I, I, I read your write-up just before we came on, guys, and I saw that you said that it was a 0.58 XG opportunity. Yeah. I was really surprised at that because from my angle, it looked like it was well, quite a tight angle to be able to shoot at. So I was surprised that it was such a such a large um, XG. Let's- 
let's oh. let's delight Jack Mulhall then and say that's probably another one of those quirk, you know, these quirks of XG because actually Hamilton and um, Jackson's efforts were, I think, not not point. Let me just have a quick look. Uh, so we got one point nine two XG through the game. Hamilton's uh, Jacko's was zero point two one, which is probably fair given how far out he was and the, the trajectory yep. of the ball and everything. And Hamilton zero point two nine again, probably taking into consideration the bounce, but the actual goal zero point one two, which is interesting. Yeah, look, Ben House coming back is is phenomenal. What I'll say is I think we've got to give credit to the medical team for oh, a start absolutely. because. Um, He's come back early. I had a message from somebody. I won't. I won't name them. Uh, and somebody's messaged me today and put. I think he also helps himself on recovery by being a total professional, living a good lifestyle. This person's exchanged messages messages with him before. Reference diet, green teas to drink, things like that. So I think it's as much a testament to Ben as well that he's back as he is. Um, you know, when it was initially announced, it was it was a long long term, and now he's back before February looking match fit and he's obviously not match fit match sharp sorry but he is match fit which i think is is massive um so guys what any what any more comments we're on 34 minutes so uh, any more comments at all on the burton game well look i i feel feel like i'm just going to end up praising um each player individually uh yeah don't do game, but i think no i won't Couple I do want to pick up on Lucas Janssen. I saw quite a few sort of discussions about Lucas Janssen on social media over this weekend and about what he what he's like as a goalkeeper and all of that. All I'm going to say is three clean sheets in a row now. His distribution gets stick, but actually, if you look at the stats, it isn't as bad as what people make out. That is purely he he had a couple of tougher games towards the start of the season in terms of distribution and the confirmation bias has simply stuck with it. Uh, and also. The command of his area, I think, is incredible for for a goalkeeper at this level. And for me, it's improved tenfold from what it was at the start of the season as well. I was at, uh, what was it, Fratton Park, Portsmouth away. And we were stood effectively like on top of Lucas Jensen. And there was a ball that was coming in the area. And he wasn't shouting for it. The defenders didn't really know what to do. I mean, luckily, we didn't concede from it. But it looked really kind of poor in terms of just overall kind of organisation at the back. And I was stood with uh, Roy, friend of the pod at the time, and we, we were both kind of discussing it and making a point of it, saying this just this isn't kind of good enough. You know, we, you can't be a good shot stopper if you don't have command in your area. But yesterday, and in a lot of the games recently, he's really shown how much he's improved on that. Um, and I think set pieces, when you can kind of seed, when you concede as many set pieces as we did early on in the season, again, I think the first place that is often looked at is the goalkeeper, and for example, again, commanding the area. But we've not conceded a set piece recently from off the top of my head. And I think he's really improved that sort of ability and that kind of part of his game as well. And then I also just want to pick up on Lars Sorensen. I was a little bit critical. Can I can I just chime in really oh. quickly on Lucas Johnson? Oh. Just mm. back just to back up what you've said. Distribution yesterday, Max Crokham um eleven times distributed the ball long, six times it was accurate, fifty-five percent. Uh, Lucas Jensen yesterday, 17 times he distributed the ball long, 12 accurate, uh, accurate 71%. So you're quite right. There's a misconception about his accuracy. But go on, you go back to the Danish loving and pick up on Lass. I, I, yeah, I will, because I was a little bit critical of Lass Sorensen. Uh, I think it was in last week's podcast. Uh, I just thought he was a little bit poor in some of our recent games where everyone else has been so good. I thought he was sometimes kind of just lumping the ball aimlessly forward and he didn't really seem to have as much about him as what we know he can have. Yeah, yesterday he kind of shut me up, didn't he? Because I thought, again, he was outstanding. Uh, some of his some of his running, being able to create opportunities for both himself and other players as well. And then some of the work he did at the end of the game um, to kind of game manage was absolutely outstanding as well. So I just very much wanted to apologise, if you like, for uh, some of the recent criticism and say he's well and truly proved me wrong. Now, while you've picked up on two, I will pick up on two and then we'll go to a break. Um, the first one I want to pick up on is Ted Bishop because I thought Ted was outstanding yesterday. Um, it's not the type of game, and I said this, I think, in the podcast the other week and you called me out saying about Cheltenham, but, you know, my perception of Ted Bishop is nice, sunshiny day. You can get on yeah, the ball. Yeah. It's, it's all good. But, you know, a pitch that looks like a battlefield and, you know, he's taking a battering like a, a not like a soldier. I admittedly, you know what I mean? He's being hacked all over the place. Yeah. It, it, for me, it was a game that 
my perception, and it might be that bias you were talking about, my perception is that that's not a game for Ted Bishop. And he just got up, he rode those challenges, he was trying to get on the ball, a um, couple of smart passes. I thought he was really good yesterday. Um, and the other one I want to pick up on, and he doesn't get the same plaudits as some of the players in a similar position to him, but Sean Rowan, because the, the, the issue, the reason I want to pick up on Sean Rowan is like at the beginning of the season, it was he was making the odd mistake. And you recognised Rowan's performances in that he's doing really well, he's playing well, he's making the odd mistake. These last few games, Sean Rowan has been playing regularly for Lincoln City. There's been nothing at all. I don't think he's put a foot wrong. And the home comms were praising him yesterday, saying he's quick, this Rowan, he's aware, isn't he, this Rowan, he's he's always looking to do this. And he's kind of settled in. When you, when you look at Freddie Draper, there's, uh, we don't. But there's still a, a part people are thinking this is the young lad that's come through the academy or they're still looking at him and tagging him with that. Perhaps not, not so much now, but certainly there is an element of that. With Sean Rowan, it completely passes me by now that he was ever a, a youth team player. He doesn't look he, like he was ever... Sounds wrong. But you know what I mean? He doesn't have that air of youth about him. He's, what, he's still only 21. Um, and I just think he looks effortless. And like yesterday was not an easy game for our back for our back three, back four, whatever whatever we play in and out of possession. Two big lads, lots of balls into the into the box. And and don't underestimate Mark Helm, Joe Powell, tricky players. When Camwa came on, some pace down the flanks. Just because um Burton were crap doesn't mean that they have poor players. They don't. Um and if you take your foot off the gas against a team like mm. that, they will score goals. You know, they, it, it, they weren't Utterly woeful. They were poor, but they weren't so woeful that you could have. You, we couldn't have gone there at seventy-five percent and come away with something. And I just think that's a credit to Sean Rowan as well. So, I, I one hundred percent agree with that. And um, I think Sean Rowan's kind of got this perception. I mean, it may just be me. I don't know. But kind of got this perception that he's better in terms of the on the ball and the ball playing defender and being able to be better against sort of your tricky players rather than that kind of physical battling sense as well. But actually, I think he's come on in that sort of aspect of his defending as well to become such a well-rounded left-footed defender and I don't want to get too ahead of yourself but he could end up being a really really important sale for us in the future made seven interceptions yesterday mm. which is uh is good I uh, made six against Peterborough five against Derby seven against Wickham <laughs> five again I know he, he's a good player Hormone's a good player. Look, let's go to uh, a break. It might be a commercial break. It might just be somebody saying, I'm, I tell you what, we'll have it. We'll have Sean Rowan. We'll go to Sean Rowan saying, You're listening to the Stacey West podcast. Then you might get a break. If not, you'll get more of me and Charlie. Hi, I'm Sean Rowan, and you're listening to the Stacey West podcast. The Talksport fan network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the Quarter Pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24 7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. So we are coming back from our break and we are going to go straight to a special recording um, because Charlie had an opportunity to interview somebody a little bit different uh, and we think that you may find some value in this. So, Charlie, what are we about to listen to? Yeah, so uh, last week I got the chance to sit down with Ben Dinnery. He is an injury analyst expert. Uh, actually started out being an injury expert f- through fantasy football uh, and sort of kind of being able to decide which of his players were going to be playing that next weekend. But 
uh, yeah, he now runs a really successful company working with, I mean, a lot of Premier League clubs, some EFL clubs uh, on their kind of injury issues. And I got to ask him some questions about kind of wider sort of injury problems and also one or two about Lincoln City specifically. I'm Lewis Monsma and you're listening to the Stacey West podcast. Right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Ben. Could you start off by uh, explaining to us what it is that you do? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, my official title coined by us here, by, by myself, is a, an injury data analyst. Um, so my experience probably goes back now around maybe 16 or, or 17 years, um, steeped in uh, roots of, of fantasy sports, uh, where we sort of, yeah. it, 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 you know, it came across, uh, you know, as usual, yeah, you know, a few beers on a Friday night and we talked about fantasy sports and will this player be available, will it not? And um, we created this bit of a of a niche where we provided um, team news updates and uh, insights on predicted lineups um, for a website back in the day called um, physioroom.com. And from there, we had a slot on on TalkSport where we have, would have a chat about, you know, the upcoming games of the weekends. We would preview those. We would talk about specific injuries. Um, and as we sort of moved on and, and I started my own business with, with Premier Injuries, um, focus now solely is around the collection and the collation of, of injury data, primarily for the Premier League um, mm-hmm. and, you know, some of those major European and international cup competitions. So we look at the data, we look at the trends, we look at the types of injuries. And and those two reasons why, um, you know, I started the business and, uh, I think the first and foremost was to to cut through all of that that hyperbole that sometimes you see in in the news about you know when you hear stories and and people are inclined to think certain things about certain ways. Well, there was nobody out there who was collecting the data could go. Well, actually, you know what you're saying is is wrong, or what you're saying is is true to an extent. But you need to drill a little bit deeper and, and understand the types of injuries why they're happening, where they're happening, who these injuries are happening to. And secondly, I suppose it was to to educate, um, you, you know, because there's a, even now the, the assumption is if a, if a team is, has a high injury burden, high number of injuries, the first default is, well, the medical department's at fault here. The physio is rubbish. The club doctor is rubbish. Why is this happening? When, you know, for the most part, those members of the backroom staff, they're reacting to things which are happening on the pitch. They don't have little or, or no in, you know, involvement for the most part in coaching, in load. There are elements of luck. And, and sometimes players are just, you know, and it's not a term I use, like injury prone. There are players who pick up more injuries than others and, and maybe need to be managed a little bit different. So it's it's definitely multifaceted in, in terms of, of what we do. Uh, we work with... You know, anybody from insurance companies to brokers to um, gambling firms to media outlets to clubs themselves. So that's what keeps me on my toes and keeps me interested. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and speaking of gambles now, just a, a question on uh, more Lincoln City specific. Uh, Lewis Montsma, one of our centre halves, he's unfortunately been out all season uh, with an ACL injury. Unfortunately, he spent most of last season out with an ACL injury as well. And before he joined us during his time in Holland, he also picked up an ACL injury. Now, obviously, just a horrendous chat record for him and really unfortunate because he is such a good player. Um, but with his contract kind of up in the summer, a lot of the discussion is about whether or not we ever see him in a Lincoln shirt again. Could you kind of talk us through ACL injuries and actually how much that could affect a player? Yeah, I think, you know, we we have moved on from from ACL ruptures being one of those problems that we've seen as, as, as career-ending or certainly career-threatening. And the assumption is that when a player does suffer that ACL setback, you know, we think certainly at the highest level, we assume that they're going to return and we're going to assume that they're going to return to, to pre-injury levels. It is still a devastating injury, although, you know, advancements in technologies and uh, recovery strategies and uh, have advanced to a stage where, you know, the, the chances have improved significantly. But there are still no guarantees that, that players will return ever to pre-injury levels. And we'll see that. Can they return to sport? Yes. Can they perform at the same level it did before? Not always. So that's, you know, that's the consideration. I think, secondly, you know, you're also looking at 
uh, ACL injuries in terms of once a player does return to sport, return to performance, and and that's the, the those pre-injury levels can't you know predominantly what we don't see is we don't see players returning back to those levels until at least maybe twelve to eighteen months after that return. So you know there's a, there's a there's a big time frame within that. Factor in somebody who's spent a significant time out, they've had recurrence or re-injury, it's the second and it's the psychological aspect of you know the game that maybe you don't understand. And I and I go back to an injury that, that Aaron Ramsey suffered, a horrific leg break that he suffered for also. And he said, you know, it took it took him three years just to have that belief and that confidence in his body again to be able to go out and perform because it was constantly in the back of his mind. And with any long-term injury, and particularly when you're suffering recurrence and and and, and re-injuries, that's going to be there. So you need to be, you know, working on that. You need to be mentally, you know, so strong just to get you through that recovery, just to even put yourself in a position of being, you know, back out on the pitch, if you can imagine. Uh, for the most part, you're, you're working by yourself. Um, you know, we... The assumption is it, it, it's always going to be long term. You're always looking at nine to possibly 12 months, generally speaking. And, you know, players are are in when the rest of the squads aren't there. You're detected from the group. Sometimes, you know, those physical departments, you're looking out at the rest of the lads. You can feel, like I say, you, you, you're not part of it. One of the big draws for, for players uh, within the clubs is that camaraderie. It's about being involved in the whole process. You're not going to pre-match team talks. You're not celebrating necessarily with the wins. You know, it, it's difficult. So you need to be mentally very strong to have the focus and the drive, you know, to go in day in and day out in the same environment, the same, you know, surroundings, doing the same, what can, you know, initially be sort of very monotonous, boring, you know, exercises, routines, just to get you in a position to be able to sort of step up and recover and progress. And as with all, you know, our most long-term injuries, you know, they're they're rarely without those little bumps in the road. You're going to suffer setbacks. And it's how you manage that. Again, it's the mindset of thinking, you know, well, all right, I need to take a step back. What do I need to do to get me to that next step forward again? And it's very, very difficult. So like I say, that it's a it's a process that, that players will need to go through. And ultimately, you know, even when you do go through all of those, there are still absolutely no guarantees with that, whether in terms of their performance outputs or even being able to, you know, go back out on the pitch and just, you know, play the game that they that they know and, and love. Right. That's brilliant. Thank you very much, Charlie. So hopefully there was some value in that interesting stuff, particularly around um, the ACL. When you think about that, it's quite a, a, when I say an in vogue injury, but it's, you know, how around that World Cup where suddenly everybody understood what a metatarsal injury was because (laughs) David Beckham had got it or Wayne Rooney or somebody, I can't remember who it was, or might have been Michael Owen. Um, So the ACL is something I think that, that really comes to mind. So I think that's interesting. Look, we'll move on from injuries because that's what Lincoln City are doing now. And we'll move into project players. Now, on our transfer deadline day special, which was, by the way, brilliant. Thank you for listening. More than 4,000 impressions, Charlie, which is unreal over for a four-hour show, I think. It, it was it was uh, unbelievably humbling and absolutely incredible. And also, thank you to everyone who kind of came up to myself yesterday at, at Burton, uh, sort of, again, complimenting the deadline day live. So much great feedback from that and uh, yeah had a really great response really enjoyable to do really enjoyable to know how much you guys enjoyed it yeah i can't wait uh, now actually to do another live because <laughs> i want to roll out another studio but no yellow ties but on that we were we were focusing on transfers and there was news that there was a project player coming in and then it didn't come in for various reasons um so we have now signed that project player his name is zach bradshaw He's 20 years old. Um, he's, I think, come through the Ipswich Academy. He's had loan spells at various non-league clubs off the top of my head. I know Chelmsford and Woking are two of them, but I think he's also possibly been at Braintree or Bishop Stortford, something like that. Braintree. Um, Braintree. Uh, he's played all over the place. I mean, he's played centre-back, left centre-back. He's played in midfield. He's played left wing for Woking. Um, uh, my understanding is that we're perhaps looking at him as potentially a left wing back uh, but we won't see him this season um, I think there's a plan for him to go out on loan 
Where that is, we don't know yet, but he can still go to the League of Ireland. He can still go to the National League as well, which is a level he's already familiar with. Um, so it, it is a it, it's a project. Um, I, I I feel that's a little bit could be a little bit insulting to a player to actually label it like that. Um, yes, but I, th- I think you kind of have to label these sorts of players as project players because I, I think fans, as soon as you see a new signing, especially like a deadline day signing, which he was, even though it wasn't announced until the day after, it was still a deadline day signing. People can get really excited. Oh, what can he bring to the team for the second half of the season? Like, no, let's just take a step back. This one is for the future. And picking up players like this, I think is fantastic. He, what is he, 20 years old? You know, I th- think uh, there's the opportunity let's say that he's out on loan for the next six months and maybe gets another loan or, or a bit of time in the first team or the academy or whatever for six months after that, he's still going to be a 21-year-old player this time next January and the potential then to try and maybe bring him into the first team fold. Who knows? Depends how those loans go. Of course it does. And bear in mind, we've got the link with Johida. So is there a chance at the second half of this season or even the first half of uh, next season, he ends up on loan out there? Um yeah, I, I'm, I'm quite excited by this. I'm not going to pretend like I know massive amounts about Zach Bradshaw as a player. I'm, you know, I'm not going to insult anyone's uh, intelligence by saying like I watch him week in, week out. But we're bringing in these sorts of players as well as bringing in the experience. For example, if you look at our deadline day signing, we brought in two, one being Conor McGrandles and the other one being this guy for the future. For me, that's kind of the perfect blend. We're bringing in both those kind of old experience heads the younger talent that we're hopefully going to mould into one day being an old experienced head at Lincoln City. I kind of compare it to a Fleetwood, for example. On deadline day, Fleetwood lost a few of their good players, obviously Marriott, but they also lost uh, Josh Earl to Barnsley. Now, they brought in a 19-year-old, I think it was actually a loan, but a 19-year-old from Everton who had never played a game in the Football League. And I think he was kind of billed as being this replacement to to Josh Earl. And I was sort of thinking, well, Josh Earl's kind of his experience. He knows what he's doing at this level. He's a great player. And you've replaced him with a 19-year-old who I don't think has ever played a game of professional football. He's only ever really played in the youth team. So it just seems sort of a, a real sort of poor decision from a team so low down in the league. And then I compare that to Woods and it's like, well, we're replacing, for example, Ali Smith sort of got replaced this window with uh, Conor McGrandles for the second half of the season. We did that and then brought in a youngster that we can kind of develop, not done, not replaced Ali Smith with a with a youngster that needs developing. Uh, so I think the recruitment team have hopefully found themselves another little gem here. And he's not from Ireland, and that'll please some people. <laughs> uh, who was the lad? Was it Eli Campbell that was uh, yes. Fleetwood? Yeah, I believe as much. I wonder if he played yesterday. I'm going to pick up on something else that you've said there in a second. Mm. Um because so I'm just looking at this Eli Campbell uh, because I, I think it's important too because you mentioned Ali Smith uh, and when it comes to developing young players actually it's funny how I, I, Ali Smith has kind of got overlooked in that but he is still a young player um, and I mean he is already looking like an outstanding prospect oh. absolutely outstanding prospect for um, uh, for, for Colchester and just a, a word on that so Colchester United yesterday. Um, you, you, you saw, I assume. So the first goal was an Akindi uh, yeah. assist for Ali Smith. The second goal was a, a Harry Anderson assist. And the third goal was a Tom Hopper assist for Harry Anderson to score. Yeah, yeah. all <laughs> managed by Danny Cowley. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wonder if that's why Danny took the Colchester job, because he tried to sign Tom Hopper while he was at Lincoln and couldn't. And yeah. I spoke to him while he was at Portsmouth and he said, Tom Hopper's a striker that we'd love. And this was when they had Marquis and, and all sorts. He goes, I, I love Tom Hopper, everything that he does. He's just right for us. So I wonder if they looked at the Colchester thing and went, well, they've got Tom Hopper, we'll go there. And Nicky's going, well, yeah, but they're third, we're nearly at the bottom of the league. Don't worry about that, Nicky. We're going to work with Tom Hopper. Big John. Get Harry on the phone. I could just, I think I said it the other week, you've got Alex Woodyard there staring at his phone, just waiting for it to ring. Do, do, you, think, do you think they tried to get Sean Raggett but realised he was going to be a little bit too expensive? <laughs> yeah. Brag, Brag, it wouldn't surprise me. I don't know if Rags is out of contract at Portsmouth at the end of this season, but if he's out of contract, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Rags doesn't go there. And you know, Paul Farman's still playing in League Two as well. Of course, of course. But yeah, back to Zach Bradshaw. I liken Bradshaw very much to the signing of Jay Ben in that you know we haven't really seen anything of Jay Ben at all. Solly Hall Moore's love him. 
Um, Alicia Huey has gone, obviously, to Peter Sports, done really well. We've got a lot of young players who may or may not make it. And you know, the, the thing is, you've got to have these players in order for them to either make it or not make it. And three or four years ago, we, we never did. Uh, I think one of the first players that we signed that I felt was a project was Alex Bradley. Do you remember Alex Bradley? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, he went to Tamworth after us, didn't he, I think? Uh, I'm sure he's still there. Not sure where he went. Funny enough, he was at Burton as well, actually. But yeah, I remember signing Bradley thinking, finally, we've got a player that we might be trying to do a little bit of something with. Mm. And, and and since that kind of era, now we've got so many young players, they're out on loan, they won't all make it. And that's that's not a failing of the youth system because in any given kind of intake of youth or any kind of young player that you sign, there's always a chance that they won't make it. It's always up to the player. We talked about Ben House and how his application um, and his dedication has probably um, attribute, helped attribute him to come back quicker. But it's the same for the young players, isn't it? You might sign mm. young players and then they, they kind of go off the rails a little bit. You never know. So, yeah, interesting signing. Yeah, definitely. And um, obviously time is very much going to tell on this one. Uh, it is yeah. a signing for the future. But the fact that we're making these signings it is just another positive, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. So we're coming up to the end of the State of West podcast. So we're going to get a little bit self-indulgent now and just talk about our own running task. I think we've spoken about it before, uh, but this week the Just Giving will be set up. So the four of us are running uh, Lincoln 10K for the foundation. We're all at very different places. Um, Ben has had quite a tough time of late because he's injured himself twice. Uh, and, And it's like I've said to uh, him Charlie and I, I don't know how your training's getting on but it's just getting round isn't it and at the end of the day if he's if he is injured and he kind of walks and half jogs and it's two hours um it'll just be a it'll be a phenomenal achievement just for all four of us to get round yeah it really will and um I mean it's a, a personal one I was really not looking forward to to sort of starting the, the process and I, I was really struggling especially on those first few runs it's gotten slightly easier now but still very much struggle and uh, for me it was about wanting to kind of have a bit of a motivational goal and the fact that it was the 10k and being able to do it for the foundation was kind of an added bonus but I just wanted that kind of motivational deadline in a way in terms of my own sort of journey for fitness at the start of this year and I think look for for Ben he he's said on this podcast he he knew he was going to struggle and he, he very much has struggled at certain points along the way so far but the end of the day, from our point of view, we just want to be able to see him take part as the team. Doesn't have to be beating anybody. Doesn't yeah, exactly. have to be getting a certain time. It's it's actually it'll be just as kind of motivational for us to know that we've got all four of the team there and not have to have kind of Ben watching at the finish line. So really looking forward to us all doing it together. Yeah, and Chris, I think, has been out for a couple of runs. He messaged me yesterday and said he wanted to do 5K, got his maths wrong and ended up doing 6K and running along the main A158 between Rugby and Lincoln. Um, so he got his directions a bit wrong as well. Uh, but it was a good pace. I think he's going to, because obviously he's, he's kind of younger than me, he's, he's, he's fitter probably than all three of us. That's no disrespect to, to you, Charlie. I don't know what your level no, of fitness no. is. Um, but, you know, yeah, so I could see Chris doing well. I, I then, as soon as I saw he'd got done 6K, I'm like, right, well, I'm going to go out and do 7K then. Um, so <laughs> I, went out, I went out and did 7K yesterday. I uh, got my fastest 5K time this year, so I was quite happy about that. Oh, I, nice. just, I hate running. Don't enjoy it. It's the buzz when I get back. You know, and you think, oh, I'd have to do it for another 48 hours now. So, But all this aside, so we'll be putting the Just Giving uh address in the bio we'll be doing some stuff around it's a little bit different because i've done it before so i've asked for people's donations before if it was just me doing it i wouldn't be so crass as to continue to try and um kind of push people for their hard-earned but i think with all four of us doing it it's a really different challenge and there will be an emphasis i think on on probably myself and and particularly um well just all of us isn't it like either those of us like myself which are run relatively regularly whether it's at a decent pace or not but it's not about us finishing it, it's about all four of us finishing it so um we're aiming to raise 400 pounds i think that's the commitment that we've made to uh the foundation so hopefully we can we can get somewhere near that figure uh but we'll be putting the link in the bio there is one issue for me charlie so it's in april isn't it at the end of april it is i did you know i, I, I was thinking this <laughs> so before that <laughs> I've got a, four, a 12, uh, 10 day holiday in Mauritius. 
mm-hmm. uh, all inclusive, which is going to be great. And literally, I come back from that. I've got one weekend, and then it's my mate Dave's stag weekend in Birmingham <laughs> straight after it. So I'm going to do all this training until like for until uh, we go to Mauritius, and then I'm literally going to have two or three weeks where I'm drinking, eating, everything, and then I'm going to have a week and a half, I think, to get ready for the 10K. So it's going to be a real struggle for me. Those last I'm looking forward to the end of March when Ben's on the podcast telling you that it's okay to walk around. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> ben going, yeah, it's all right, guys. There's no, there's no pressure on you at all. We'll hang back and we'll, we'll, we'll push you through. You're absolutely fine. Don't worry about that. So. Right. This has been episode 272 of the Stacey West podcast. We have been absolutely delighted this week with three points away at Burton Albion um, in attritional conditions on a, a boggy pitch against a team hell-bent on committing physical assault on more occasions than I care to remember. But we fought through it. We won 1-0. We've got three points. We're looking up the table, not down. I have been Gary Hutchinson. He's been Charlie Beeston. And you have all been amazing for listening. We will be back in the middle of the week where we'll be previewing Fleetwood and covering any news that comes out of the week. But in the meantime, thank you for listening and up the imps. Up the imps. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure 24 7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute, and all your mates around watching the imps on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share boxes on the go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, but then you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.